The voice of the Thames Valley. River Radio. I think I like it. You give one quick twitch and the thing is done. You're listening to The Sports Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. This is The the Sports Show. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, the sports show that talks the Thames Valley and beyond. I'm Ed Tarleton and tonight I'm joined by Will Taylor and Maria Sapsinos as we chat everything from Olympic triumph to local football forecasts. Remember, if you want to get involved in the debate, you can do by tweeting us at River Radio Live. There's loads to talk about, so why not get in touch and have your say? Coming up this week, Maria speaks to Paul Lloyd head coach at Maidenhead Marlin Swimming Club and the man credited with the early development of new double Olympic champion Tom Dean and his sister Connie. If you asked them, they would both say we've never worked as hard as we did when we were at Maidenhead. Elsewhere, we hear from Wickham Wanderers manager Gareth Ainsworth ahead of their first game of the new season against Accrington. I'm really excited about what this club can uh, can do now and uh, I'm lucky to be at the helm. I want to take one minute for granted and now it's up to me to, uh, to try and get the results to make this team the special championship side that we want to be. And with Reading set to begin their campaign against Stoke City, we chat to Paul Mann of the Elm Park Royals podcast about their chances. On the first day of the season, anything can happen. We could go there and win 4-0 or lose 4-0. All that and more to come on this week's Extra Time. Yes, welcome along to our weekly sojourn into the world of sport. In the company, as I said, of both Will Taylor and Maria Sapsinos. We have a full team together once again for the first time in a little while, actually. Are you are you both well? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. It's not a rhetorical question. Feel free to answer when you like. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just struggling to recognise who... Who does this sat across from that's, me? That's, that's Maria. I believe you've met. I'm It's yeah? been quite a while, yeah. yeah How you doing? You, you've been away on holiday, haven't you, Maria? But before that, you dusted off your table tennis bat and went to help out at Team GB's Olympic training camp. Now, we did talk to you about that on the show. Reflecting now, because sort of Team GB's efforts in that competition have kind of concluded, how do you think they, they sort of did? Yeah, I mean, my, my training didn't really help, did it, to be honest? <laughs> they all went out pretty early. But no, no, credits to them, very, very hard matches. Uh, reflecting on it, really, it was it was a great opportunity for me as well. Obviously, I didn't go out to Tokyo, but to be amongst them and to train with them and see kind of the, the preparation that goes into it. Obviously, Tintin was my primary focus, being the, being the only woman who was, who was going out there representing GB. And yeah, okay, she lost in the, the first round to Manika Batra of India, a player that she's played a few times commonwealth athlete as well we'll probably be looking about how we're going to play against her next year so it was probably quite a good warm-up match for her I know that sounds a bit strange obviously it's at the Olympics but she had no expectation on her to win that match but yeah she went out there and she played her best the scoreline of 4-0 didn't really reflect how well she played I watched the match Um, she had 10-6 in one of the sets to go up not to go up to get a game back off her but but couldn't clinch it really but no the training was really good and yeah I'm just a bit sad that obviously I was there training as a a sparring partner and obviously not going myself but but nonetheless good nonetheless like you say I mean the experience in Tintin's case of going to the Olympics will hopefully stand her in good stead you've got Commonwealth aspirations of your own and you and and Tintin have have been very effective on on the table together as a partnership so fingers crossed for you both that uh, come the Commonwealth you'll be in good shape and and hopefully 
going to be able to add to your bronze medal total. Unfortunately, Will, uh, we've talked off air and I don't think you've won anything ever. So... <laughs> Um, can't, can't do anything with that. Won the hearts um, of Berkshire. Will, the, the <laughs> Will, the football season is, though, just around the corner. Now, after a much-discussed summer of, of heartbreak, are you ready for more? <laughs> Absolutely not. Not, not at all. Um, no, of course I am. I mean, look, I mean, football, football is what it is, isn't it? And I think you, you take the highs with the... You know, you take the highs as they come, you take the lows as they come. It really is as simple as that. Um, I, I can't wait for it to get started again. Um, and it's sort of like the first season in two years where it looks like everything's just going to go ahead normally. Mm, like fans yeah. are back in the grounds. It's starting a, a, a little bit later than it might do, maybe a week or two, but it's a relatively normal start date. You know, there's no World Cup in December this year to disrupt it all. It's the first one probably out of the, out of the, next, out of the four years since COVID happened, be the only season that actually goes ahead normally. So I'm, I'm just quite looking forward to that, to be completely honest. Just normal Saturday, Tuesday games as they happen, not cramming loads of fixtures in everywhere, just... A nice, um, a nice sort of clean slate of football for for a new season. Looking and we will, of course, it. get into you know the prospects of the local teams in both Wickham and Reading in a little bit. That's our panel for this evening, though, and we begin with a real feel-good story as local lad Tom Dean won two golds in the pool at the Tokyo Olympics, and in doing so, became the first British swimmer to win two titles at the same games. Now, his journey to triumph has not been easy after two COVID nineteen infections saw him spend six weeks out of the pool in the competition's build-up. A former member of the Maidenhead Marlin Swimming Club, his performance has been one of many highlights for Team GB. And this week, Maria spoke to his former coach and programme director, Paul Le- Lloyd, apologies, about Tom's remarkable achievements. 15 metres to go, Tom Dean in six, Duncan Scott in four, and we could get two medals, and can they be gold and silver? Can they be gold and silver? Yes, Tom Dean is Olympic champion on the 200 metres freestyle. Well, first and foremost, what a week. What a week for you. Yeah, you're not wrong. If you could tell me a little bit about the club. It's quite a humble little club, especially for the sort of uh, context of results Tom's achieved. We've got, I guess, around about 250 members. I started to lead the programme back in 2009, and Tom had just joined about a couple of months before me. At that time, the club had a few swimmers swimming at the first stage of swimming, the first stage of competitive swimming really is county championships and then you move on to regionals and then from there is age group nationals. After age group nationals you go to senior nationals or what we call trials, British championships and then obviously on to international swimming if you're as good as Tom. First full season I was there we had maybe a dozen, 15 county swimmers and one regional swimmer and then in the last, last sort of 12 or 13 years <laughs> we've actually managed to increase that to would you believe like, I think we've had 13 individual national age group champions. We've regularly had four, five, six swimmers every year at national championships and British champs. Because the club have done so well and grown, had financial support from companies like the Lewis Bayliss Trust and the Shanley Group. But more importantly, we've had huge support from Maidenhead Council. We've got that brilliant 10-lane pool with a four-lane teaching pool at the end of it. We're really proud not only of the success we've had with Tom, how we've managed to develop swimming in the town as well. And obviously in terms of Tom's achievements, from your perspective, when did you realise potentially that Tom wasn't your average swimmer, Tom was potentially going to take it to the next level? We had what you might call a golden generation, quite honestly. We were quite lucky in the sense of the, the, the depth of talent we had all within a similar age. But Tom was obviously a very good 
as a club swimmer between the ages of eight and 11. And he went to his first national age group championships when he was 11, and that was ridiculous. And I was always anti that. So when I was head coach at Slough years ago before I took the role at Maidenhead, I wouldn't let my 11 year olds go to nationals because I think they're too young. But in a club that you're taking from, in relative terms, the underperforming club, with Tom being our first national qualifier, and because at that time I wouldn't have re-established the really strong coach-athlete relationship with either him or his parents, if I'd said to them, you know, you're not allowed to go to nationals, they would have gone, what are you on about? And took him off to another club that would take him, do you see what I mean? So I had to compromise my principles a little bit in that respect. And he, he got, I think, a bronze medal in his very first 11 and under national group championships. And that wouldn't in its own right indicate like Olympic standard or anything, because if you think about it, the swimmers that are representing GB now, the age range, you've got the, the youngest boy in the team is a 16 year old, but the oldest swimmer, well, James Guy must be 26, 27, like an eight or 10 year age range, right? So even if you win gold at national age groups, even that doesn't really mean you're going to be an Olympian because it's only a 12 month cohort that you're beating. Then through his 15th year, he started to really perform really well. And so the year he's turning 16, we looked at him and we thought to ourselves, we want to get him to European Junior Championships. So we put a plan in place. On our conversation, let's make sure team this year so you've had a year's experience you go back and win it in, when you're 18. Well the sort of training sets that we did he was doing so well about three months into the plan we ripped that up and we said okay let's go and try and win it this year. <laughs> so that was really when we started that now we have started to get something special here. The best thing about Tom was and, and in his own words because he comes back to our club and does talks with the younger children and he does awards nights and stuff and his advice to younger swimmers, and he did this 100%, is he said, I may be lucky I had the talent and I'm lucky I met the coach, I had a great relationship, because he's had a fantastic working relationship with myself and he's developed that also with David McNulty down at Bath. But he says to the youngsters, if you want to be really good at swimming, just do what your coach says. You don't need to make it any more complicated than that. Just get in, do it. And that's the real strength of him. His attendance was incredibly like 100% every single year and his application to task well 99.5% human beings can't be 100% can they because we're just we're flawed <laughs> but as close to perfect as you can imagine so that's why in my opinion he's made it is because he's intelligent he's absolutely connected he's got the physicality and he's also got obviously the natural raw talent what sort of training does it take to get to that top level in some of my program it takes an incredible amount of effort because we really do believe very strongly in cardiovascular fitness through the pubescent phase between the ages of 12 and 15 anything between 8 and 16 hours a week and between the ages of 15 to 25 like Tom now down at Bath I mean he's a paid full-time athlete of course so it's different but he's doing about 30 35 hours of training every week with his land training and his yoga and his stretching and his swimming and so on so for in the teenage years the developing ages you'll do anything between sort of eight and ten hours up to about 16 or 18 hours when you hit that period just before you go on to uni put simply so his older sister connie she got a full scholarship to go and compete as a premier uh, nc2a's athlete in america duke's one of the best swimming universities in the world and tom's been at one of the best swimming programs in the world down at the bath performance center and if you asked them, they would both say, we've never worked as hard as we did when we were at Maidenhead. <laughs> 
So we're really, really pleased that we gave Tom that foundation. In terms of obviously the Olympics, now two golds, unbelievable, but let's just focus on that first gold. I was just I sh absolutely shocked myself because I ge I'm, I'm not trying to be clever saying this, I genuinely thought, okay, I was super excited after he won, of course. But even when he swam in his very first heat, I was thinking, God, he really is an Olympian now. Because like, until he's actually hit the water the first time, yes, he's been selected. But I thought I'd be like a nervous wreck watching. But I was really calm. I was like, Paul, what's wrong with you? And then the semi-final came, and I thought, I'm surely I'm going to be nervous now. But honestly, I really wasn't. And then the final came, and I was like, Oh, this is exciting. And I was a little bit more elevated, but I still wasn't nervous chewing my fingers or sorry. I, I, I was hopefully do well, but also in the back of my mind, going into this, in my mind, I was thinking it'd be really good if he does brilliantly this Olympics. But for me, his one's going to be in Paris in three years' time when he's 24 and he's the absolute optimum age and so on and so forth. So maybe that was something to do with that, I don't really know. But I was much calmer than I thought I would be. And then when the um, when he won, I think I kind of was even, which sounds daft, it should be the other way around. I think I was able to be even happier more quickly at the end of the relay, because it's almost like you've experienced it once before. And I, as sports people always stay in these moments of incredible success, I don't think it really sunk in that he'd won the medal the day before. I think my emotions have actually been growing through the weeks with all these interviews I've been doing and, and, and things like that. And you really start to... Uh, one moment I had when it really hit me home and I, I almost shed a tear, and that's just not me. I'm not, I'm not an emotional person generally. Tom sent me this really lovely picture of his two medals, obviously on his pillow in his uh, Olympic Village room. And when I saw that, and really it dawned on me that they are Tom's medals, I had that moment then that it's as soon as it hits the wall. So, yeah, it's been very surreal. What do you think the impact of, of two gold medals bringing back to, to Maidenhead and to the club really, really means? The impact's going to be huge. It will be across the whole nation, of course, but the Scottish people will probably be slightly more inspired by Duncan. People in the Midlands will probably lean more toward Adam Peaty. And sort of around here and down south, it, of course, will be more Tom. But for the swimmers that we work with, there's two separate things. Firstly, it's incredible for them because they either know Tom personally or feel as they know him personally. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is that I talked about that generation of really good athletes we had around Tom's age group and so on. And that was led a lot by Tom. But that generation actually set an example of such dedication and commitment that that has filtered all the way through down to our seven and eight year olds and that strong culture and ethos just exists in the club. So if you came along and you watched our, learn, our, our training program, having been to other programs and watched the normal way of coaching, our program is so calm and so quiet because that ethos is there and the kids just do it because they want to do it. And I'm really proud of that, but that is a direct result of Tom and his cohorts development through the club setting that example. So I had this text sent through about two hours after he raced and it says it's athlete-centered coaches like you that make these moments. Thanks so much for being the foundation he needed at the right time. No amazing building lasts without the greatest of foundations. Well done you. Right? And that's a lovely text isn't it? 
And when you said that came from Mel Marshall and PT's coach, it made my day, shall we say. What are your first reactions going to be when you see Tom for the first time? Tom and I have got this very, very strong relationship. We've been a little bit dry with each other. So I'll probably just say to him, not too shabby, mate, let's go have a beer. <laughs> yeah, we're just really humbled and proud to have been that key part of that process. And, you know, we just look forward to to, to hoping the sport grows because of it. And, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Thank you very much, though, for um, no taking problem. All the best. Well, a remarkable story there and one which we in the Thames Valley can all be very proud of. Maria Paul naturally got quite emotional there towards the end. What was it like speaking to him? Because it's a phenomenal achievement that, that Tom has delivered, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think I think overall the conversation was he was just so happy and so proud, obviously, as you would be. But I think there was a little bit of a, a tinge of unhappiness in the sense that he'd obviously taken um, Tom from 8 to 18, those formative years, and then obviously he's gone down to Bath and trained in their elite programme. And now in the headline news, they're saying that he, he's from the... Yeah, the bath program and he's like oh but I worked with him for so long and I think that's what he said to me well that is what he said to me as well which uh, I think was a little little bit annoying for him but at the same time he, he can't no one no one in Maidenhead can be unhappy right now can they because that's just unbelievable I know that they're having the homecoming street party tonight out on one of the streets in Maidenhead as well which will be really great and I think the thing about that as well, and, and you're right, it must be very difficult to to perhaps not feel that the recognition for, for all that hard work for 10 years is is really kind of coming to the fore now that Tom has achieved this. But the important thing that I think perhaps, you know, in time will become clear is that ultimately Tom himself will absolutely not forget all of that hard work and, and all the razzmatazz around this will fade as it always does with the Olympics. I mean, in 2012, the tagline was inspire a generation. And I think in the 10 years subsequently, there have been some fairly stern questions questions asked as to whether or not that was lived up to um, but certainly Tom himself will absolutely not forget that nor will his sister of course and 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 ultimately as he was saying you know the Adam Peaty's coach texted him and told him that it's that basis that foundation that will set both of them up for, for great things in swimming irrespective of whether or not Connie goes and competes in the Olympics but what Tom Dean has done is is absolutely fantastic and to have him be local as well is is, is great for us why do you think it is and, and you're one of them actually to be fair but why do you think it is that Berkshire is is such a hot spot for talented athletes I think success kind of Read success as well. I know, obviously, in table tennis, um, we have Matthew Side, and, and that kind of foundation of him going to the Olympics obviously gets funding from local councils, governments. Uh, that kind of gets the funding and pushed back into the systems, and then those systems, once you start getting Olympians, kind of it's a little cycle, isn't it? And if, if that drops off, as we're kind of seeing with table tennis now, compared to the funding I used to have, the funding that the funding that the, that there is now is 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 practically nothing um because we don't have that many olympians going out and competing at the, at the top level yes we obviously we mentioned tintin but to uk sport and and the councils aren't looking at first round losses and who's making it there they're looking at the headlines those those getting the medals and i know for sure that tom dean will will not only inspire a generation and he definitely will in the ethos in the club we heard paul lloyd speak about the the ethos that tom has brought into the club his seven and eight year olds he says that train now are nothing like the seven and eight year olds that they were before because they're watching his dedication and his determination and the words he's saying and they're hanging on to Tom Dean's words he's only a 21 year old but they're listening to him and they're listening because he's one and he's he's 
an example of if you put the dedication in and you listen to your coach you can get there and I think that is phenomenal really and I think that is the cycle that it will take in in Reading and in the Thames Valley that slowly as we breed more more success investment goes in and, and more money goes into not just facilities coaches you need those top level coaches and a lot of top level coaches are not going to come unless they're, they're paid well and I think mm. that's acceptable if they can go somewhere else and get better money they need to live everyone needs to live a lot of people aren't going to just do it for free and and that that kind of comes with the money and the funding and, and hopefully we see a, a sharp rise in in kind of um participation but also funding into those events because look what can happen obviously it's amazing well absolutely and there's a few cancer worms that we're going to open up in here tom dean of course isn't the only member of team gb to have been successful over in tokyo as the games have progressed they're in their third week now and the medals just keep totting up it makes sense for us then to dive straight into our hot topic section Music. Music. Was my first love. Music. Across the Thames Valley. This is River Radio. That's right. It's been an incredibly busy week for the Games as Team GB and uh, <clears throat> we will pick up with swimming. Team GB's athletes in that discipline have notched eight medals there. I mean, swimming across the board, Tom Dean notwithstanding, obviously Adam Peaty was the one who got a lot of the uh, press coverage in the build-up because of his phenomenal achievements in the pool and in the sport for some time. But what they've done as a group, as a sport, has been, I mean, it's been incredible, hasn't it? It's been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I watched the interview with with all with the four boys who did the 100 meter medley relay and all of them stood there with medals galore basically and Duncan Scott on the end with three silvers and a gold most decorated swimmer female swimmer uh, at the games um was Pretty sure Duncan Scott's a, a, a guy isn't he Yeah you no know, I was just saying that he's the most decorated f- swimmer Male swimmer. Right, not. okay, sorry. <laughs> I was trying not to Were oh, you thrown off by that? Yeah, yeah. Just, sorry. <laughs> I, I thought that was something that I didn't know about. No, no, no. I was trying yeah. to, yeah. I, I said swimmer, and then I realised that I hadn't taken into account maybe any female swimmers that also had that mm. amount of medals, mm-hmm. but he is the most decorated male swimmer, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, they were all so great at speaking as well. And I think, as we just spoke about the, the swimming, I watched them all. I watched all the races, maybe not live, all of them, but mm. a lot of them on replay and they're, they're nail-biting, clenching, like you're clenching watching them. You want them to win so badly. And I think that's the, the whole point of the game is the whole of Team GB gets behind everyone. In fairness, they're nail-biting unless it's Adam Peaty. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is fairly straightforward. But yeah, it, it's been incredible, hasn't it, to just see them um, pick up. I mean, I don't think I definitely didn't expect it to be as, as sort of comfortable as it has been in terms of the, the amount of medals that have come from it. But they've certainly taken me surprise. And I, I certainly think they've, they're, they're winning over, the, like that, you know, we spoke about the inspiring the next generation. I certainly think they're winning over that sort of, in, in that sort of sense of things as well because there's there's so much to come from from that sport I think in in terms of British 
British Olympians. Well, it's eight medals that the, the swimming team have delivered in total. As you say, Duncan Scott seems to have quite a number of them yeah. as well. He's got three silvers and a gold. I, I certainly counted myself very lucky to not be able to sleep. Again, worrying about what, what you're going to say on our next yeah, episode, Will, no doubt. <laughs> but um, I managed to catch the uh, the mixed medley, um, which uh, featured Adam Peaty, uh, among others. And, and that was phenomenal. Really nail-biting. And at one point, I've got to be honest, I, I turned over probably about 30 seconds after the start. And in the midst of all the excitement didn't realize that it was a mixed medley so when i saw what for all intents and purposes it appeared to be team gb just miles back in the field you think oh right well that one's that one's gone then hasn't it i hadn't realized that because it was a mixed medley our opening female had gone out against two males and was obviously swimming in the middle of them and then swimming into you know their tail stream as it were and basically did a phenomenal job just to keep us in the race and we ended up coming through and winning it it was it was amazing but the thing about the olympics as we say you know in tom dean's case the narrative of somebody who most of us let's face it if we didn't follow swimming avidly as the majority don't um you know perhaps hadn't heard of adam Peaty, we had heard of because of what he'd done before but tom dean is now very much a poster boy of of swimming and you see that across the board i mean what we've achieved in bmx is absolutely phenomenal but the thing about success like that in certain areas is that it highlights a lack of success in other areas and if you contrast the eight medals of swimming with rowing where it's now the worst return for 49 years there's this huge can of worms that's been opened over funding the rowers got 24.6 million pounds for the Tokyo Olympic cycle and that's more than any other sport but they failed to pick up a single gold medal for the first time since 1980 and as I say you look at the BMX where a couple of people have had to you know crowdfund in order to get there and have performed with aplomb and have won gold medals then conversations will be had off the back of this won't they? Yeah, I think they will, and I think there's there's a there's a very very realistic point to be made of saying, you know, it, it, are we sticking in this sort of historic sport that we, that we were good at instead of looking at these new breed of sports that evidently we actually are quite good at. I mean, certainly in terms of the BMX. I mean, I, I, to, to be completely honest, even going into it when I saw it was in the Olympics, I was a bit like, hang on, sorry, what's what's going on there? But I mean, it, it was it was absolutely excellent to watch, and yeah, that's like like I said, twenty four, twenty nearly twenty five million into rowing. And there's a BMX gold, a gold medalist who's funded herself to get there working as a chef. It's just a little bit ridiculous, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. But there's, there's definitely going to have to be questions to be asked going ahead to the next Olympics, I think, about where the money's going, because it doesn't seem to be adding up correctly, does it? I mean, it's curious, isn't it? Because the next Olympic cycle is only going to be three years as well, which will change things slightly. And the rowing argument appears to be getting quite messy as well, doesn't it? Because you've got James Cracknell kind of subtly being labelled as being smug. He's now responded to that and saying, you know, I don't, I don't kind of look back and hope GB lose. You know, I'm a GB supporter now. Steve, Steve Rograve has now kind of joined in as well, and, and it all centres around the the coach who had coached eight gold medal crews. It was Jurgen Grobler uh, for for GB. As I say, eight gold medal crews over seven Olympics. He was he was allowed to leave a year before these games, and it seems to have kind of caused a bit of unrest in terms of the performances but equally on the other side of it there's been some rovers who've come out and said that actually that wasn't the worst thing in the world that he left so so it feels like that's not going to get resolved in the in the near future but invariably as you see at every games it happens to be rowing in this particular cycle but there's always a sport 
where generally there is a concern over performance and all of a sudden it's, well, they're probably going to get hit when the funding, you know, kind of gets doled out again, aren't they? But there's been plenty of highs for GB as well. Max Whitlock, the first man to defend an Olympic pommel horse title since 1980 in Moscow. I mean, did you see his routine? It was flawless, literally flawless. His routine was flawless. I I think it's one of those sports as well, the pommel horse, well, gymnastics in general, where you can kind of hold your breath for the whole routine and kind of keep it within yourself and you're watching going, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake. They never it- thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not him, me, uh, me at home. <laughs> you, I'm you, at do, home. you don't make a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going, I'm telepathically telling him, sat in my living room, don't make a mistake. Because it, it, it was Does just... Does he text you to say thanks? I, 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 was, I was beginning to think Maria had a pommel horse in the living room. So I'm glad sort of got away. <laughs> little do you know, yeah. little do you know, see, see me there in Paris. <laughs> Changing sports. Well, there we go. But Tom Daly, of course, the first gold medal for him at the Games. He's been seen since in the stands knitting, um, which has been a, a great viral image of the Games, of course. He'd knitted his own uh, case for the medal. Your medal got scratched, didn't it, from the Commonwealth Games, you told me. It's got yeah. a little got a little nick in it. But if you text Tom Daly, he can <laughs> knit you a, a cover. He knitted it. It was great. He knitted this GB cover for his gold medal. And, and fantastic for him, having been at Games before and not quite being able to do it. Emily Campbell today, first British woman ever to win an Olympic weightlifting medal. She got a silver. The, the Chinese, uh, I think the Chinese athlete came first, who was who was the streets the favourite. But, I mean, to, to be the first woman ever, Ever to do something like that is absolutely incredible. And the equestrian team as well, a first gold medal in team eventing for 49 years. And these stories keep coming. They keep on coming and they keep on coming in different sports, which has been fantastic. But the thing about the Olympics, invariably, there's been lows as well. Jay Jones is the double Olympic gold medalist in taekwondo. She went out in the first round and we had talked about that last week. Since then, on the track, it's not really gone Team GB's way either, has it? Dina Asher-Smith missed out on a place in the women's 100 metre final and then had to pull out of the 200 metres with injury. I mean, that was heartbreaking, that interview. I don't know whether you saw yeah. it, but it was it was really difficult. And of course, she was caught up in the moment and a lot of questions being asked about whether or not that interview should have kind of gone mm. ahead subsequently. But but terrible for her. It was, yeah. And But I, I mean, ultimately, I think it's one of those where, you know, she, she's not getting any younger as an athlete, is she? And she didn't even... There were question marks about how... Because she had an injury just a few months ago, didn't she? That they were talking about her potentially needing surgery on that that she ended up just getting rehabilitation for. And you start wondering whether, you know, and I don't at all accuse it in a selfish way, whether she was just so desperate to go to the game, she maybe overlooked what her body could do physically if you know what I mean and I I think that's a that's probably quite a common problem with athletes that this you know it was a game delayed by a year it was there was so much at at stake for her that it might have just been a slight oversight and she I think she might have just pushed herself a little bit too hard but she'll be so disappointed because I mean in terms of um, athletes for Team GP she's pretty much as good as it gets so it's, it's going to be a massive disappointment for her for sure and talking of disappointments there was of course Sarnel Hughes he made the 100 metre men's final with a qualifying time of 9.98 only then to full start in the final itself he made the same mistake in the British Championships a month earlier now he blamed Cramp um, which which kind of basically he's a kicked in as he went into his set position um, that's been met with quite a lot of incredulity 
across the board in terms of a number of, of elders of athletics. Certainly Michael Johnson didn't appear to be particularly enamoured with that as an excuse. And, and the thing is, it's difficult here because when you ask a question about it that, that is informed by what you saw and you're not educated on the subject, and I couldn't claim that I was, um, invariably it looks like you're putting the boot in. But, but genuinely, I found it a bit odd. Having had cramp myself in a, in, in a sport, nowhere near his level, not the same discipline, but it does seem a bit odd that he ended up 10, 20 metres further down the track than, than everybody else. And it was, it, it's not been well received, that excuse, I don't think. I mean, he said he wasn't nervous or, or whatever, but ultimately that, that is disappointing because the field appeared to be more open than it had ever really been since Usain Bolt retired um, and disappointing for him. But obviously that, you know, uh, has led us into other news, which is that we have for the first time since 2004, a new men's 100 metre Olympic champion. Jacobs, of course, who was born in Texas, but then actually was brought up in Italy. 9.8 for him. I mean, a bit of a surprise because traditionally he's actually been something of a long jumper as well, hasn't he? I mean, it was... I think uh, his Instagram name is yeah. Long Jumper Jacobs or something <laughs> like that. And I, I mean, was looking at it going, what I just watched you win the hundred meters. So it was an extraordinary about? performance from him, and he, I mean, he looked absolutely fantastic. And then, of course, his teammate, the high jumper, who had just shared the, uh, the, gold, the medal with yeah. the Qatari athlete as well. I mean, great scenes, and that's what you love to see at the Olympics, isn't it? But you know, since two thousand and four, was it time? Do you think for the Usain Bolt legacy to kind of be put to bed and for us to move on? I would say yes. I think he was a phenomenal athlete, obviously the best. Um, But I think at at, at that stage, I don't think he could continue running because I don't think in his athletes have kind of expiries. I know he's Usain Bolt. He he is the Bolt. He's he's the best. But at the same time, I don't think he would have ever wanted to start declining and, and maybe getting into those finals for sure but then not clinching those medals because at that point you people start start saying things and and your legacy of being the best kind of goes down a little bit I, I always think the best athletes leave the crowd and the fans wanted more I generally do I think if you look at the uh, all of the best athletes that have ever done it even in football especially the ones that call it a day early enough when they're still held in such high regards are normally the ones that you look back on with the most fondness so I, I definitely think he made the the right decision by doing that and it was so nice to watch it for once sort of even in since I can remember of watching it and not knowing who was going to win yeah because it was that. it was that he was that good that it wasn't really even a I think he was wearing a chain wasn't he and he had his shoes untied for a couple of them where it's just he looked across and ridic- smiled <laughs> once didn't he at his just, next uh, door you're right I'm just gonna overtake you, you know there what? it was it was never it was always it never come across as smug, which I quite liked. It was always it just he just exuded confidence, didn't yeah. he? It, I never thought he's being really smug and really arrogant. He, he was just that good. He could be, I think. But. No, he had that. He had that character, didn't he? Mm. That personality to carry that off. And the one thing that you could say in in defence of that era, because as you say, there is something when you reflect and knowing who was probably going to win the race before they even got to the blocks, it does take an element out. The difference with the same bolt was that every time you were wondering whether or not he was going to get a new world record, and, and that. <laughs> was exciting because you really felt you were watching history every single time he lined up on that Olympic on that Olympic start line you mm. really felt that something could happen of course he did achieve the treble treble which was since rescinded due to a, a drug um, incident with a different athlete in the relay race which is a real real pity um, but also in the news Simone Biles is back in the Olympic uh, beam final the American gymnast had qualified for all five individual event finals but she then took herself out of four of them for mental health reasons uh, the four that she was out of were 
were the all-around event, the vault, the floor, and the uneven bars. Um, she was dealing with issues surrounding her air awareness, which in the sport is referred to as twisties, which essentially, having looked that up, because curiously that was not something I was familiar with, mm. um, is essentially your mind and body not being in sync with each other. And when you consider some of the uh, kind of the the tasks that they're performing in midair is incredibly dangerous and hugely, hugely unsettling. I mean, Max Whitlock himself has, has come out and said, you know, when you're doing that, it, it becomes about your actual own safety as much as anything else. But she's back in the vault, so we're really looking forward to that. And there are some other things to look forward to as well, of course. Sky Brown, our youngest ever Olympian, will be uh, taking part in the uh, park skating. That is coming up very soon. And also we're into the semi-final of the women's hockey, which we're looking forward to. And in boxing as well, we've got Pat McCormack. He'll be in the men's welterweight final. That's tomorrow. Benjamin Whitaker will be in the light heavyweight final also both of them guaranteed at least to silver it's been a fantastic set of games we're into the final straight now as I said on the previous show but uh, certainly looking forward to the conclusion of that I think we can agree I think you're absolutely right but as the Olympics do come to an end over the next couple of weeks the football season restarts um, this Saturday Wickham Wanderers take on Accrington Stanley in their first game of the season in return to League One and we'll be discussing their season and chances next Yes, Wickham gear up for the new season as they face Football League stalwarts Accrington Stanley. Um, uh, but they've been rubbing shoulders with clubs who've got a bit more pedigree after beating FA Cup champions Leicester City in the in a pre-season friendly last week. A match which now also which also saw the unveiling of new striker Sam Vokes, who spoke to interviewer Alicia Pavey after the match. It's been great being in for a couple of days, being in and around the squad, and uh, tonight was was great to get. Uh, get signed off and see the boys win, win 1-0 and, and I thought the boys done brilliant tonight and obviously the fans are back as well what was it like to get that reception coming out at Adams Park yeah it was good it was it was nice being in a stadium full of people as well which was was one thing and then to be unveiled obviously as uh, as a new signing was brilliant but more importantly I think as a team done uh, put on a great performance against a strong Leicester team as well and um showed our intent and, and what we're capable of this year. I was uh, I was itching to get going, sat and stand there tonight, wanted to be out there with the boys, but um, is what it is and, and hopefully a good week's training with everyone next week and can't wait for the season to start. Sam Bokes there speaking to Alicia Povey after the game against Leicester. I mean, you, you were there, Ed. What was, um, sort of first and foremost, before we can get stuck into it, what was it sort of like just as an atmosphere? Was it good? Oh, it was absolutely fantastic, it has to be said. You know, I mean, not having fans in, I think, since December, which was a 2-1 home defeat to Coventry. And the fans really did bring their A game for this one. I mean, for a friendly to have sort of six and a half, seven thousand, I would have put it at, was, was a great atmosphere. And what was really lovely was they had a firework display at the end to welcome back all of the fans. There was the unveiling of Sam Folks, who, of course, as he heard there, was chomping at the bit to get out on the pitch. But um, Gareth Ainsworth actually took the mic at the end of the game and spoke to the supporters for a couple of minutes as well. And that was, I think, not only really special for him, but really special for them. Because the thing about Wickham Wanderers as a club is you have to remember, and I know that we do keep banging this drum, but last season they were at the highest level of football they had ever been at. And you can't help but feel that had they been able to have some of those games in the presence of their fans, they might well have been able to actually bridge that literally one point gap to Derby County and perhaps stay in the division. It was such a special thing that was obviously kind of 
ruined by COVID in a way. And whilst the season didn't start, well, it started in the way that I think many people who weren't Wickham Wanderers fans imagined, but not how Wickham Wanderers fans hoped, to have them back in the stadium. And, you know, Gareth Ainsworth himself said, you know, I'm really going to try and take this club back into the championship so that you can all be there to see it. It was a real family moment. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was at Maidenhead and it felt like a family club of a bigger nature and a bigger stature. You know, this felt like a real sense of togetherness and it was fantastic to have fans back in after all that time for sure. Obviously it was a, a run of a couple Sorry. Obviously, it was a run out for a couple of new signings. Did they look sharp? Yeah, I mean, they looked good. They really did. I mean, to get a 1-0 win over, you know, over a, a Premier League side in the sense that, that Leicester are top five finishers, you have to remember that Wickham are starting. I know it's only a week earlier than Leicester, but it does make a difference as to where you're at in your preparation. And if I'm totally honest, you know, Leicester did have some big guns out. Jamie Vardy played, uh, Soyuncu played, you know. Jamie Vardy, for example, looked a little bit, uh, he didn't look like himself, if you know what I mean. And I think, you know, I think Wickham could have afforded to be far more worried about him were he, you know, as it were, match sharp. But I think when you get into, when you get into football and you, and you start, you know, the season, the opening couple of weeks aren't quite full pace. Nonetheless, you can only beat what's in front of you. And, and whilst, yeah, it wasn't perhaps the Leicester side that you would have anticipated that, that would have played, it wasn't the strongest Leicester side. Across the two teams, you could have put out a very strong Leicester side. But the uh, the new signing, Sully Kai Kai, I thought was very impressive. Um, you know, you've obviously got Josh Cohen, who's come back in as well, and, and he looked good. You know, he's, it's like he's never been away, really. There was a big send-off as well, in a sense, because Zach and Fenway, it's going to be his last season. He's made that very, very clear. But he got a big, big cheer as well. Um, you know, I think they can afford to quietly be quite confident with him. Josh Waitley looked good as well. So, all right, Jack Waitley, apologies. Um, so, yeah, you know, they've been, they haven't been extensive in the transfer market. They've trusted those that, that got them into the, the into the division by and large but they have made a couple of additions David Stockdale in a sense is almost like a new signing mm. because he spent the first half of last season not playing at all and I thought he was excellent he really was he didn't have to do anything massive but everything he had to do he did it really well and was calm and assured and as you would expect of someone who's actually earned themselves an England call up in their in their career you know he was he was really quite something so yeah it has to be said that they did look good the new signings I think they bought well and, and obviously Sam Sam Vokes is very much the cherry on the cake isn't he he's the, he's the marquee signing mm. And um, I think every Wickham fan will be very much looking forward to that Accrington game because you would anticipate that that he will be in that starting lineup. Definitely, I mean, it, I mean, like you said, you brushed over it. There. It can't be understated just how, like, like you said, even though they are a week behind in their preparation, the gap between the League One and the Premier League is so vast. Absolutely, it, it cannot be understated how how big a win that is for them can it and how much confidence that will give them going into that first game on Saturday well I think the thing I mean we've also got an interview with Gareth Ainsworth and, and you will see his demeanour about pre-season and friendlies is, is relatively laid back and, and I think it kind of oozes a little bit of class actually you know you hear what he's about to say first and you'll get that vibe I won't spoil it but suffice to say that you've got to treat those two imposters just the same at the end of the day if Wickham lost the game I don't think anyone would really have batted an eyelid had they lost 4-1 you know we were doing predictions league in here and it could have, it could have got to those scores and I don't think anyone would turn around and say well that's a little bit strong would they because of the stature of the Premier League itself but it's about self-serving bias to a point if you're going to go out into a season you know and have beaten Premier League opposition the FA Cup reigning champions as well under Brendan Rodgers you know you've got to understand that those teams were still full of international players so in that regard it was the perfect conclusion to Wickham's pre-season build-up um, I, I imagine that they're trying to keep their feet on the ground about it because obviously they recognise that you know it is just a pre-season friendly it doesn't mean 
anything, but it's one of those games you'd far rather win than lose when you get into uh, into the start of the season. So you know, congratulations to them because they were they were magnificent. They really were, and they matched Leicester. It wasn't a case of backs mm. against the wall. Honestly, that was an even game, and and they grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and got the goal to win it. Absolutely fair play. And well, you mentioned Alicia Bovey caught up with Gareth Ainsworth as well, and this is what he had to say. I would have said. And I will say this, because if we'd have got beat today, I would have said it's not about the result and to probably get me out of jail a little bit. But And we've won. It's not about the result. So pre-season isn't about the result. The season's going to be about the results. It gives me great confidence and great uh, spirit in what we're doing and how we're training and, and the organisation that the team showed tonight and, and these individual brilliance moments that I think we have match winners in the team. Um, but to see those fans, honestly, to talk to them at the end is in my... 30-year career, whatever it's been, as a football player, that that's one of the special moments, you know, welcoming the fans back to see these players. Um, I'm really excited about what this club can uh, can do now, and uh, I'm lucky to be at the helm. I won't take one minute for granted. Um, got some great owners, great backers, uh, and now it's up to me to uh, to try and get the results to make this team the special championship side that we want to be. And uh, really, really pleased tonight. I thought we played some great stuff. And you have made some very exciting um, signings, including Sam Vokes, which was unveiled tonight. What are you going to be looking for from him on the pitch? Um, we just about kept that secret, didn't we? I think <laughs> he got, um, it was leaked everywhere, but um, nobody could believe we'd get that one. So when he turns up on the pitch, uh, that was an, another great moment for this football club to sign a player of that stature, international, Premier League goal scorer, and, and to attract someone like that to this club speaks volumes of everyone inclu- in, involved at this club, you know, and... Uh, and I expect uh, goals from Sam. You know, he's a great goal scorer. I want him to rekindle his, his relationship with the, putting that ball in the back of the net because he's, he's had a tough year, you know, at Stoke and uh, didn't really feature. And we, we can't fathom out why because he'd be in my team and, uh, and he certainly will be, you know. He's, uh, he's going to come into a team that loves sticking the ball in the, in the box and, and loves getting the ball forward, but also have this solid base of... Uh, you know, defending and closing down teams, which wins the ball back. And, and yeah, I think he's going to fit in really well. He's a great character. Um, and the biggest thing about that is Sam wanted to be here. Um, that's brilliant for me. It's not, we didn't have to move heaven and earth just to get him here. He he, he came halfway as well, which is brilliant. And uh, I'm looking forward to working with Sam. But I'm also looking forward to the likes of Ollie Pendlebury and Jack Wakeley, who performed fantastically well tonight. Adam Adam Prisbeck in goal, you know. And I think some of the trialists as well showed up well. So we've got we've got a real, you know, crop um, match winners with Sully Kai Kai coming in. The, the names now that we can associate with this football club are just special. And uh, and I can't thank the Cougs enough. Can't thank the fans enough. And uh, I say over to me and uh, and the boys to try and get some results. That's Gareth Ainsworth there speaking to Alicia Povey after they beat Leicester. I mean, just before we before we sort of move on, I've just got to say it can't be understated the job that he's done. Now I was there, unfortunately, the day they stayed in the football league, beating Torquay three 0 and when they didn't really have any right to, to be completely honest, things sort of just fell in their way. It all really worked out for them. And Gareth Ainsworth was a, a player coach then, I think, and I remember him vividly. Remember him running down the line with a bib on, just going absolutely mental, hair going everywhere, a bit like yourself, Ed. It was just absolutely, <laughs> it was absolutely. I know and. And, you know, you look at where they were then, and that was, what, seven or eight years ago. And now they're associating them, signing Welsh international Sam Vokes. It's, it can't be understated the, the 
sort of mammoth job he's done there can it no and and i think the thing about gareth as i say i mean first and foremost is he really does in his very understated sort of northern burr way he really does ooze a little bit of class i mean he said it there look i would have said beforehand had we lost the game well it's not about the result and i'm not <laughs> going to turn around now and claim that it is you know as i say that's for me that's the hallmark of somebody who really kind of keeps themselves in in check and he obviously was under the spotlight a little bit when he did get wickham promoted because it was such a phenomenal story but the thing that that he said there and i think think it's it's the jigsaw identification that you can kind of work out as well first and foremost is that you know there are so many um there are so many players in that in that dressing room who are who are kind of in in certain cases sort of off cast but so many of them have said it's the best dressing room they've ever been mm-hmm. in that's down to him that's always going to be down to the manager to enforce that yes the players have a role to play but ultimately you have to remember that it is basically down to to the manager to enforce that dressing room the other thing is the new owners have come in and they've really revolutionized the club they put a lot of money in certainly into the media side of things well you know now Wickham are really kind of getting up to speed um, and there is this feeling around the club that perhaps actually they could mix it in the championship a little bit I think they were very unfortunate previously to to go out of the championship in the way that they did and the infrastructure is being laid there but they did manage to keep hold of Gareth Ainsworth and Sunderland were looking at him mm. when they parted company with uh, with their previous manager um, so you know they did well to keep hold of him and and it does feel like him and Wickham are very much made for each other and I, and I see sense that you know if they have a good season this year then he will very much be at the heart of it without a shadow of a doubt he always will be very cool plays the guitar very well as well doesn't he he's he does he's in a band he's in yeah a band. i actually weirdly i remember uh, i bumped into him uh, just walk, literally just walking along oh, the really? street yeah and i did i just thought well, he was walking i think towards the ground and there was a nod of recognition i knew who he was or whatever <laughs> but there was no again it's one of those things isn't it you you get a certain sense of when you're in the presence of someone important but he certainly clearly doesn't think of himself like that he's a really down-to-earth guy and i think as i say he's he's tailor-made for Wickham and vice mm-hmm. versa so fingers crossed that, that they can have a good season absolutely I really hope they can I mean Wickham are set to begin their campaign this Saturday then at Adams Park when they take on Accrington Stanley we now move up a division though and look at Reading's chances against their against opposition on their opening weekend the voice of the Thames Valley River Radio I think I like it you give one quick twitch and the thing is done You're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio and it's time to talk about the other local side whose season kicks off this weekend as the Royals of Reading begin their campaign away to Stoke City. Now, Will caught up with Paul Mann from the Elm Park Royals podcast and started out by asking him how or rather what he made of Stoke away as the first game. Oh, it's the archetypal tough place to go, isn't it? And I can't believe as, as a fan... I'm excited about a match at Stoke City. Our games against them over the last few years, well, Stoke City in general, I'm sure they feel the same, but oh, they've been grim. Absolutely grim. Nil-nils, consistently, really, really dull games. But I hope there's some goals on Saturday. I would say that their signing of Vrantrich makes me very jealous because I think he's a quality player and he loves a long-range goal and he's a very good player. So I don't know. I think we can go in there with optimism. We'd take a draw right now. But on the first day of the season, anything can happen. We could go there and win 4 0 or lose 4 0. Either of those options is available. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But you've always got to be optimistic on the first day, haven't you? Slightly. I think you have to be, yeah. I mean, especially after finishing just outside the playoffs last year, of course. Can you see yourselves maybe repeating that feat this year? No, no, I can't see it, unfortunately. Um, it was a massive surprise last season that we did so well. And the start was a huge factor in that. We did have some quality players as well in periods of play. But 
I think this season we're looking, oh, this won't go down with any Redden fans that hear this, a relegation fight. I just think we're really going to struggle this season because of the FFP issues we've got. We can't bring anyone in. So that really has limited us massively. I mean, losing a player of, of Elise's ability for only £8 million. I mean, today, that's almost a free transfer for a Premier League club, isn't it? It's, it's nothing at all. And losing Omar Richards as well for nothing. Again, contract management at Reading is, I could talk about it for hours, but we haven't got that long to talk about it. But I don't know. Losing Richards is going to be a massive, massive blow. And I think we'll see that going forward. And I don't know who we're going to bring in to replace him because none of our young players are good enough to come in, I think, on a consistent basis at that left back. So it's a big worry. There's worries all over the pitch for us, Will. I think there are worries over the pitch, but one place there's not too much of a worry is in the dugout, isn't there? Pornovic obviously seems to be well behind everything that's going on at the club and is strangely confident given that he can't sign any players. I, I think he's the perfect manager for the situation that we're in. He seems to have brought the whole club together. Anyone who I've spoken to who works at the club absolutely loves the manager. And sometimes they say that publicly, though they do, but privately it's not quite the same. But with Panovic, it seems to be a very close-knit group up there now all going in the same direction so yeah I, I think he's doing a fantastic job and he would have known there would have been major financial restrictions going forward with the club he's not going to be so naive to not go into a job and not know about that but it's a mess Reading Football Club as a whole is a bit of a mess and that's not down to the last one or two years that's going back to when uh, Sir John Medeski left basically and it's been a real big issue but if you look at the new training grounds that they built, it's highly impressive. That doesn't give us any points on the pitch. But going forward, I think we are trying to build the right infrastructure. And financially, we ha- we've made one real signing in the last 18 months, and that was Ovi Ajaria for £3.5 So we are trying to stop the spending, basically, and get players out slowly. That certainly does seem to be the ethos and hopefully things can ease up financially for the club. But putting you on the spot here, let's grab a prediction from you for the game on Saturday. I'll go for a 2-1 win to Reading. Why not? It's the first day of the season. I don't need to live in reality, do I? (laughs) Anything can happen on the first day of the season, can't it? Paul, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Cheers. Well, some rather forthright views from Paul there, certainly. I mean, he wasn't holding back, was he, in the sense that he absolutely doesn't think that playoffs are a realistic proposition because of that financial fair play scenario that they find themselves in. They've lost a lot of big players, haven't they, without really being able to bring anyone in. Do you think he's right to be talking about a relegation fight or is that perhaps a little bit too doom and gloom? I think football fans have this this rather charming thing of um, either massively overselling or underselling themselves before, before a season. No football fan ever goes into a season and goes, probably finish mid-table, that'll be about it'll be fairly boring you're either going to be in the playoffs or you're getting relegated there's never any in between <laughs> promise you there's every football fan will say it so um I don't know I think it's it's, it's an intro I don't think that they'll win the relegation sort of sort of element of it I think they're, they're just a bit too good for that there's such a good youth set up there and so many young players that are only going to get better this year and I think that's a massive part of it that you know we're, we're talking about these young players that have left unfortunately like Elise and and Richards that that they, they have lost hold of but there's still a lot of good good young ones there that I think can that, that are only going to get better this year and are only going to get more game time as well which is only going to sort of bring them forward so I, I, I think they'll be okay I, I, I think he's right I don't think they'll be in the playoffs but I think they'll be I think they'll be fine 
And Stoke obviously will be a quite big threat to Reading. They'll be there or thereabouts this year, won't they? Especially after such a good pre-season. Uh, their pre-season's been phenomenal. Yeah, they beat Aston Villa like fairly comfortably, actually, which was a, which was not a weak Aston Villa a weak Aston Villa side by any stretch of the imagination either. They, they've they've just been fairly consistent across the whole pre-season, and it's what you what you sort of want. And I mean, Michael O'Neill, the job he's done there since he left f- from Northern Ireland has been incredible. Really, he really has just done such such a good job it, it can't it can't sort of be you know sort of understated how how well he's done so he, he it's, it's really good I mean and the thing is about Stoke is as he said very stereotypically it's a very hard place to go and it even is now even in the championship it's not an easy place to go and that will certainly be I think how um, how Redden will be seeing it it's not not where you want to go for the first game of the season I don't think well I mean we certainly do wish both Reading and Wickham the best of luck as they kick off their seasons this coming Saturday but if you can't wait for that fear not we have something just as big if not bigger it's the extra time predictions league Music. Music. Was my first love. Music. Across the Thames Valley. This is River Radio. Yes, you'll often hear it said that the dirtiest race in history was the men's 100-metre final in the 1988 Olympic Games. They are, of course, wrong, dear listener, as you will soon discover, because I guarantee the two people opposite me would do literally anything to get their grubby hands, and I mean that quite literally, on a win in the Predictions League. Don't think I, don't think I did either of you a disservice there, did I? I'm a little bit offended there, but it's okay. I'm surprised it's taken this long. Every, she's been away for three weeks. Every, every week. I forget how offensive you guys are. <laughs> Every week I try and think of a, of a tagline to really psych up the Predictions League. And to be honest, it's just what I add. <laughs> we take it or leave it. A quick reminder, of course, of the rules. Each week, a member of the team will pick out three fixtures due to take place in the coming days, with each making a prediction for the outcome of those fixtures. A completely correct prediction from a player will earn you three points, forecasting correctly the outcome, i.e. the winner or loser. That gets you one. Failure to do either naturally wins no points. This week, it's Will who has given us the predictions, and he's open with Reading against Stoke or rather Stoke against Reading in the championship we've just said tough game tough place to go can they do it at Stoke on a on a Saturday afternoon at the start of the season uh, Will I'll open with you what do you reckon to channel my inner pull from the Unpart Rules podcast no they can't um, <laughs> simply I, I don't think they can I think Stoke are going to be too strong for them um, that there's such a good foundation of squad there I, there is at Reading as well but I just think they the, the not I know I said not too much could be read into preseason, but I think in this case there really can be. It's been a really poor preseason of Reading, a great one for Stoke. They just seem more at the races. I think it'll be two 0 I think it'll be fairly comfortable for them. Two 0 Maria. Any anything more positive? We've talked about yeah, some of the athletes, athletes coming negativity. out of, coming out of Berkshire. What, what do you reckon? This negativity in this room right now. <laughs> I'm not having any of it. Um, no, I mean it's going to be a difficult match um, for both teams as well. So. I know it's away, but I'm, I'm still gonna I'm gonna back the Royals. I'm gonna go two one 
Two one to the Royals. Well, I mean, it's interesting. We've got a, a, a weird dichotomy here because I've gone for two one to Stoke. So we've got two one to Reading, two one to Stoke, and a, and a two nil down the I middle. I just need Reading to win. Come on, well. Reading. There you go. You need Reading to win in your home and drive one point to the good in this one. Yeah, I think it is going to be a difficult game. And and you know, as we heard from Paul, the first game of the season is free. You could win it four nil, lose it four nil. Nobody's really got a totally good gauge of where anyone's at. And mm. the preseason games, to be honest, pale into relative insignificance after let's say two three fixtures. Everyone stops referring to them. So we will have to see how they get on. And the next one you've picked is a hockey game. This is in the uh, men's semi-finals. It's on Wednesday, India versus Belgium. India, of course, knocked out GB 3-1 in the quarterfinal stage. Maria, we'll come to you first. You're quite a keen Olympic viewer. What do you reckon on this one? Yeah, so I watched the, the GB versus India match and I thought, wow, they're actually... I, I personally thought GB were going to trounce them. We've got a really great side, but... They, they pulled through really and they, they did some amazing stuff that the Indian side so I, I'm, I'm going to go with India 1-0 against Belgium I know Belgium are also a very good side but but someone's got to win yeah I mean I've, I've sort of gone channeled a bit of a football analogy here with this one because I think sometimes you can play your big game too early and I think India getting a scalp like GB might have been that for them uh, I just think it'll be a step too far this time. I'm going to go three one to Belgium. That's an interesting one as well. I was actually trying to do a, a not dissimilar thing and find a pattern in previous results. I can't, um, <laughs> but I have r- rather ironically stumbled upon three uh, one to Belgium as well in that one. Now the final fixture you've gone for, we've had it most weeks. The British and Irish Lions <laughs> are playing South Africa for the third time. It's gone either way. Now it's gone once to to the British and Irish Lions. It's gone once to South Africa. Will, what have you got for me? Well, one thing I. Got ridiculed for for my first um, my, my most recent British and Irish Lions guess was the the score was way off and and I was I was upended for it so I've gone lower this time and to be fair they have all been lower as well so I've gone nineteen ten to the Lions I think it's going to be tight but I think I fancy the boys to to bring it home yeah um, I've just quickly changed my prediction there because I've obviously <laughs> not been here the last two weeks so I haven't I haven't listened to those predictions nor have I actually seen any of the scores but I, I've gone South Africa twenty five fifteen okay. It's a bit far further down than what I originally had predicted score was. 25-15 South Africa. South Africa won the last game, of course. I've gone with South Africa as well. I just felt that they kind of oozed a little bit of class. I've gone for 28-12 to South Africa. I, I think a similar scoreline. I don't think it will be the fairy tale ending to the tour that we would have wanted, but it's nonetheless given us plenty of entertainment. Look, guys, it's been great to have you on the show. A full team again for the first time in what feels like quite some time. The last Maria, time. Welcome, <laughs> welcome back uh, for what apparently is going to be the last time. Will, I can't keep you away. Yeah. So yeah, I'll see, I guess I'll see you next just week. Just keep turning up at the door. It just keeps just working a trick. And of course, dear listeners, thank you for tuning in to us. We will speak to you again.